People, ils ont posé, ils ont tout le monde. For the podcast. Let me take a minute before you smell my breath on the podcast. For the Back at it again, it's the Photo Coach Podcast. We have a special guest with us today, Mark. Hello. How you doing, Mark? I'm well, how are you? <laughs> Mark, do you have a last name? Mitchell. Okay. Um, so what is your title? What do you do? I see that you are a forensic peer support specialist and criminal justice reform advocate. Um, do you want to explain the first part of that? Yeah, forensic peer support is basically helping people with mental health challenges. Um, who are in recovery from mental health disorders or substance abuse, um, substance use disorders, and um, just kind of being incarcerated or having kind of contact with the criminal justice system itself is traumatizing for a lot of people. And for peer support, it's the idea that people who are closest to the problem are also closest to the solution. So peer support specialists help people who are currently in recovery navigate through. Um, that space and find success with uh, their path to full recovery. Alright, um, I want to give everybody a little background on you, so let's start from the beginning. Um, so your parents were in and out of jail and you would call your grandma mom. Yeah, I did. I called my grandmother mom. Um, I actually didn't know who my mom was until I was probably like seven years old. I always um, knew my grandmother's mom and I remember as my grandma was kind of leaving, um, as my mom was getting ready to leave prison, I didn't know, of course, at that time, but I remember going through a phase when my grandmother was like spanking me like that. I'm not your mom, don't call me mom. Um, and she was kind of just like teaching me um, who she was so that when my mom came out, she wouldn't really feel offended um, by the fact that I didn't know her and was acknowledging my grandmother as my mom. And what were your parents going in and out of jail for? I, my mom always had like substance use disorders and um, my father, I know that he was in for a while, but he was just more so absent mm -hmm. as opposed to being in prison. I'm not even sure when um, he was out or when he was in because he just really wasn't there. And no relationship with him now? Or well, I kind of have a relationship with him now. It's, it's a unique relationship for sure for sure um but my dad's like 80 something years old you know so even like my sisters and stuff on his like my siblings on his side they're like 50 or so oh wow so, 50 yeah yeah, yeah how yeah. old are you he's 29 right? i'm 29, 29. Yeah. oh okay so you they would still go <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. no yeah so it makes it it makes it a little awkward because i have like great nephews who are my age and yeah. great nieces who are my age so i kind of you know interact with them a lot more than I do with my actual siblings, but I have gotten to a point where we started to work on that relationship a bit more now. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I think there's eight or nine of us. Jesus, um, that's I'm, not a lot. Well, for I'm not back quite, then. For back then? You said it like it's the 60s, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was born in the 80s. <laughs> okay, so I'm thinking about my grandmother. My grandmother had like nine kids, so. mm -hmm. I guess you're right when you put it that way. It's not a lot for back then. But what I like I'll just kinda of find out randomly that I have additional siblings <laughs> on my father's side. I don't like I have no idea what that feels like. Child. <laughs> no. So like yeah, I, I, I always wonder what it feels like from my dad's children who are from his marriage though. Like, I always kind of... So was he married to your mother? He, he's been, no, he's been married to his wife for like 50, 60 years. Like, okay. they've been married forever, as far as I can remember. In fact, she was like my um, kindergarten teacher growing up. Oh, that's crazy. Did you know? Yeah, I did know. When I was in school, right, she was my kindergarten teacher. My great-grandmama worked at the school um, as well. And so she asked me one day, or someone asked me in class, like, who's your dad? And I was like, oh, your father, um, your husband is my daddy. Um, and she was like, no, little boy, you need to find out who your daddy is. <laughs> she was like, no, nah, you need to find out who your daddy is. Go back and figure it out. But somebody would have told, um, like, somehow that circulated. And my mom was, like, really, really aggressive. And that news kind of got out. And my mom came out to the school, like, wow, jumped on the lady, bust out the lady windows That's and stuff. Crazy. She was, like, all over the news. It was. That's crazy. Oh, wow, she's on the news. Yeah, for that. That's not a good thing. <laughs> not a good reason to be on the news. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So, uh, where did that question come from, though? How did you? Where did you see that? Which question? Like, um, you didn't know who your grandmother was or your mom was. Oh, I seen the previous interview you did. Oh, yeah. Watching that. Oh, okay, okay, okay. 
Yeah. Just curious. Doesn't matter. Yeah, everybody was dead shocked when I started asking questions. <laughs> yeah. But um. Okay, so your grandmother raised you. Yeah, my grandmother raised me um for the majority of my childhood until I think I was like around ten years old, ten, mm-hmm. eleven. Yeah. And then your mom came out of prison. Yeah, she came out of prison. I think she came out of prison when I was like um eight like around eight years old and although she really didn't want to raise children the state kind of um charges you know like child support and if my grandmother was receiving assistance then she would have had to um put my mom on child support and different things so even though she didn't want children she like took us from Mm -hmm. my grandmother to keep from having to pay i mean well that was like really really short-lived she was not like prepared to be a parent. So she frequently went in and out of yeah. prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after you knew who your mom was, she went back in. Yeah, she was like, I mean, as far as I know, the last time that she was in prison was probably like two years ago. Like she goes in and out okay. um, pretty regularly. You were in and out of foster, well, you went to foster care around 11 years old. Yeah, I did. Okay, and the reason why you went to foster care is because your mom gave you a gift, a sweater, and you put it on yes fire. and no, kind and, of. Okay, go kind ahead and explain of. to why you went into the foster. Well, care. I initially um, went into foster care or started to have contact with um, the foster care system when I had gone to school and reported that I was molested. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Okay, yeah, you went to yeah. school because you're molested. Right, right, right. Uh, by your own mother. By my mom, yeah. Yeah, and, and she doesn't really identify it as molested molestation, mm-hmm. though. Um, it's kind of weird, um, but it was kind of her form of discipline mm-hmm. and. Still to this day, she still thinks. Yeah, like to this day. I'm kind of curious, what what exactly, without giving detail. I mean, I don't really want to go into a lot of details about it, but um, I kind of just was like talking back to my great-grandmother. It was like, um, take that bread and shove it up your butt. You know, like, because she would feed us peanut butter jelly sandwiches like to death. And so I would, I kind of said that. And then like later that night, my mom just kind of like went ham on me. Um, and she doesn't really identify it as sexual abuse or anything. Just because you said that? Yeah, because I said that. Like, I was like, take this bread and shove it up your butt. She'll discipline you by doing stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I know you had a lot of, like, like, you couldn't, like, function around other people because of situations like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, had a lot of challenges with kind of being social or interacting with people, um, afterwards, but... That's kind of what kind of pushed me into contact with the foster care system. But even before that, I was like dealing with mental health challenges for certain. Um, some of them I was aware of. Some of them I wasn't. What were you really... aware of at, at that age? Did well, you realize? Because I was diagnosed with stuff that resulted in me being a Redland Adderall and junk. I knew I had like ADHD, and they were called bipolar. They said that every kid. I think for for certain for me it was true. Oh, um, I think that there were a lot of things that I, a lot of challenges that I had or mental health issues that I had that needed to be addressed. But then there were other diagnoses and even the approach to treating it um, that was completely wrong. And I, that kind of just happens to children more often than not, but definitely children like minority children who don't really have advocates or uh, people with a lot of knowledge um, to navigate through like the mental health space and interacting with clinicians. Um, How did you end up going to therapy and being diagnosed, like you said, because not a lot of minorities get to that point of meeting with a therapist? I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's not true because at school, in schools, when you kind of act out, they'll put you in contact with therapists and um, counselors will refer you over to uh, clinicians. And that's kind of what happened for me. Like it started, yeah, it, it started at school. And what school it, you was at? Cause my school didn't get down. No, they didn't get. They didn't no, give a damn. They just said go home. Nah, man. They pushed me. Um. Well, they would like suspend me, and mm-hmm. then as a way of pushing me into like um ESC, they would have to do those. I would just go home. <laughs> you would go home. Yeah. Yeah. You, I I, I want to say I think it's the school or maybe the actual people that care about their jobs mm-hmm. and care about the students that they're you know teaching and treating maybe why you got lucky mm, I don't think that I got lucky I think like during that time it was like a lot of money by putting kids in those portables right? and in order to put you in those portables they had to do like a mental health assessment um, and kind of do like a IEP or a treatment plan of sorts 
when they placed you in there. Yeah, they put me in the portables, and they were marking middle days, and they'll just say, write this over and over again. Mm -hmm. I won't yeah. do this again. I won't do this. I won't do that. And that's all I did the whole hour. Like, what the fuck is this going to do? How is this going to help me? Yeah, they probably got twice as much money off everybody. Probably. The portables. But I didn't get down. I, I caught on, and I just started skipping. I just started acting up more. It just, I didn't give a damn at that point. Right. But do you recall like going through a process before you were like at um, put into those classes? Like, uh -huh. no, no yeah, assessments, no guidance counseling, no nothing. Just throw them in there. Yeah. Dang. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, I nah, think it depends. I went through all kind of stuff, man. <laughs> I went through like all kinds of assessments and um, they like were medicating me and doing, no. yeah. Maybe when you talk about two different things, you said, that, yeah, because I didn't get no drugs or I didn't do none of that. Yeah, for sure. They yeah. gave me like Ritalin and Adderall and nah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was doped up for that. No, they, they didn't dope you up nah. either? Nah. Oh, but I know yeah. you said that you felt like a zombie and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. medications. And then you stopped. What made you just stop taking the drugs? Well, I never really wanted to take the drugs. Um, yeah, but most people are compliant to that because the doctor well, said I wasn't a compliant kid in general, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so just because of the fact that you want me to take them probably meant I wasn't taking That's them. That's how I was. I was the opposite. Time, you told me to do something, I did the opposite just because you told me to do Right, it. right, right. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So that was kind of what happened. But I um, like took it for a while and kind of went through that phase where I felt like really like um, out of it. Like I just kind of wasn't into like into connected with myself or anybody um, for a while while taking those medications. And it's crazy because now people take that stuff to focus and they'll take those things. Study. Yeah, to study and stuff. I don't recall like studying. I just remember it? like yeah, sitting there. Yeah, but sometimes doctors prescribe certain things. You, you still don't take it? it? I got I got pre hypertension. I'll take my pills. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it, man. I just, I just, you don't take none. I just can't, bro. That's nice. It's not because I. It's, 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 it's not because I can't. It's just because I just don't take pills. Like I, you have to be in the habit to take pills. Do you? Don't take pills. That's nice podcast. All right, so um, what I wanted to ask you: What made you go to the school teachers or whoever you spoke to and say? My mom is molesting me. What, what, like, what was your mind frame? Like, what made you like? Cause I know this probably had been happening on and on and on. What made you say this is the last strike and I'm going? Well, it wasn't it. something that was happening on and on. Like, it didn't like um continue. She just was really abusive, and that was like the one time that the abuse went from just like punching me or something, mm -hmm. like to overboard. And um, I just kind of went to the school and talked about it. I don't think that there was anything in particular that triggered it. Well, so you just talked to the school therapist? Or yeah, I talked. Well, I had this lady. Um, it was this white lady who like took a real um, like interest in me at that time. And I remember telling her. And so I think what actually happened is I told, like, I talked to her about it. Mm -hmm. And when they kind of, like, called me in, um, they already kind of had an idea what was going on and just needed to hear it from me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I remember um, before, like, my mom would, like, lock me out of the house all day, like, during the summer mm -hmm. while she went to work. Like, I'll leave at 6 and not be allowed back in until, like, 9 o'clock at night. And so the lady kind of, like, called um, DCF and stuff there, too. So she would, like, always see stuff and just... You know the sad part about this? At least you was that kid that was talkative. They ask kids that are like, mm -hmm. that don't say nothing. They're yep. just so, like they're separated from the world and they don't want to talk. Right. And you don't know what's going on with them. Yeah. So what's, what, what, do, what do you think? I you think I probably talked too much though. Like during that time, I probably talked a whole, like a whole lot about everything that was kind of going on. I mean, For me, it was good. normal though. Yeah, that's good I, though. But most people think, well, well, you're a kid at the age, so they're not thinking that. But older people are like, What's the point of me talking to a therapist because they don't understand me because I don't get to talk right. to them. But that kid, they were all like what, 10, mm -hmm. 7, 9? What, what was that? It was, it was about 10, um, about 9 to 10, but it, it it wasn't always just like therapists. I would just talk to people, you mm -hmm. know, like in school. You're just a very open child yeah. with your... Yeah, I didn't realize it though, you know, I just talk, talked a lot. Like I would, I was, I grew up around older people who just talked and told people oh, business. Shit, and so, like <laughs> right, right, right. So I hear them talk and tell people business. So it's possible that I would just go to school and be like, oh, and just <laughs> repeating the same stuff, uh -huh. you know, and then kind of like start talking about my old stuff. That's just kind of what happened there. So how yeah. did you get into um, 
advocacy and how'd you get into helping kids and I didn't necessarily start um, assisting children. I wanted to volunteer to work with children for a while, and I couldn't because I had a criminal background from when I was like 16 years old. What was that from? Um, so I was incarcerated when I was like 13. And... Intensive behavior, right? Well, I was placed into like a group home for intensive yeah, behavior, and then while, into that, while in that group home, um, I like caught a number of different charges inside of there. Do you mind in. going into depth? Um, I don't think the charge matters as much, at, um, but it was like batteries and um, aggravated assault. So, yeah. I remember um, one thing that kind of pushed it was... You thought it was a school officer or was it an officer? Well, I thought like several officers. Because that was one of the charges, the batteries, right? They, they put on you because of that? Well, yeah. And no, later that was one of the charges, um, like an assault on an officer. But I have a couple of those, but I don't think that that's unique because they'll beat you for being mouthy. Yeah. And then when you hit the back, you go to jail. Yeah. And so, like, for my situation, that's one of those cases where um, I kind of just, like, talk. I talked and said whatever came to mind, and it was, you know, one of those things where they would want you How to shut you up. How old were you, like, 17, 18? Um, so it happened once when I was 16, and it happened again when I was 19. That's the age where us as teenagers, we think we know everything, so we're brave. So I used to mm -hmm. be too, like, man, go ahead and hit me. I'm going to mm -hmm. go do this, I'm going to do that. Right. For me, so I kind of understand where you're coming from, because yes. I went through kind of the same path, kind of, except for I got lucky, I guess. I got... I don't know how I got lucky, but yeah. Yeah, one of those instances, I was like, one of, I was inside of one of those institutions, and I was on the phone, and um, like a collect phone, and the guy like came and tried like tell me to get off the phone and tried to snatch the phone, and so um, like I snatched it back from him, and he started to like fall, and he punched me, socking him with the phone, mm -hmm. and so like we were tussling, but he hit me first, and it, he like played victim and. Um, had charges pressed on me and stuff. Well, you gotta do what you gotta do when you're inside there, man. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a zoo in there, kind yeah, of. Yeah, it, it kind of was. Okay. Um, and then, like, later on, I just kind of got into an incident at school with security guards, and um, they pressed charges on me, too. Okay, and then at your 18th birthday, they transferred to a YO camp. What is a YO camp? Um, it's a youthful offenders camp. Actually, they didn't get a chance to transfer me. Oh, yeah, because you escaped from the facility before they transferred you. I did. How the hell you, how did you do that? Um, I kind of like went through a process of trying to get people's attention because they were going to transfer me into um, the wild council at that point I would have been incarcerated for like seven years mm -hmm. I started from the time I was 13 and with the intentions of getting out at like 20 and um, no one really would listen or respond and so I started to like write the courts and file motions and stuff but they were out of date right like yeah they were out of date but also I was in foster care so no one cared you know what I mean like no one cares and, um, and they usually and, want young kids they don't want older people right 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 care. right well it's easier though like if you're a child in foster care um, and you are intensive behavior or, or one of those types of kids that's problematic it's easier to put you inside of those places um, because they don't have to worry about placing you are dealing with the challenges of you getting kicked out of houses all the time um, it's more expensive less stress and they save yeah. money yeah you save money for sure it is less stress um, and so it, it was just an easier solution and because I like my grandmother had passed while I was inside of that place um, she was working to get like get custody of but that didn't happen and it was just an easier solution to kind of leave me there and then once I started to like get in trouble inside of there and get a record um, or additional charges, it started to become like adult offenses all the the juvenile because they were direct filing me. And the plan was to um, move me over into the YO camps. I actually was supposed to go and stay until I was like 21. And yeah, I just decided that I wasn't going to do it. So. One night, I like filled the bed up with like my uniforms and like pillows. And <laughs> old stuff. trick, <laughs> yeah, the old trick, and just like um, stuff like rocks and rocks and cones in the door so that it looked like it locked when it clicked. Um, and I just like left. I left the blanket over it, over like the um, the gates and the blades, and just like all of it. Damn, was that easy? Yep. 
It was. Yeah, it, when I was in there, they had like barbed wire fence. It was barbed wire. Where is it? Yeah, I you get caught. Yeah. 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 He wasn't playing. He was like, I gotta get out of this place. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So do you think that how, because of the crimes that you committed and allegations you had against you, do you, looking back on it now, do you think they went about it the right way? Absolutely not. Okay. Do you I, think they should have, with your history of abuse and being in foster care and not having mother, like they should have put you in therapy and like figured out why you were? I think that more often than not, um, what happens is that you're just dealing with people who can't relate to your experiences, which is why peer support is important because yeah. it's people who've gone through those experiences. But um, and so the first response is normally to get rid of the problem and in order to get rid of the problem for me it was just to kind of lock me up but i don't think that that was the appropriate answer for myself or for most kids like you're dealing with kids who kind of grew up with trauma whether or not they are aware of it um especially in our community most children are experiencing trauma of some of some sort and i think that that coupled with the mental health disorders there should have been a lot of different approaches um and a lot of other things that happened before just kind of decided to lock me up do you think because it's so easy to be a police officer it is easy it's super easy like um you consider it being one no <laughs> I physically I DSO is the easiest program you can get into. Like you barely even need like an associate's or whatever. Like some cities will just pay you to you know do the couple of courses and stuff like that. So do you think like there should be a law where we're implementing? If you want to be a police officer, like you need to go through because they do have a little psyche valve test. I will say that you have a little tiny one, but nothing like really significant to be qualified to deal with kids and the traumas that they have like don't you think we need stricter laws when it comes to that well i think that training um for police officers should be a lot more trauma informed um a lot more cultural culturally competent yeah. and i'm i'm hesitant to say that you know um like all police are bad but i think that most of them are definitely not prepared for the work that they're doing bad. i just and like I, you said they're not right. And they're not prepared for the work that they're doing. They're not prepared to be in our communities. They're definitely not prepared to deal with children. Um, for sure, for sure, like they're kind of incarcerating children um, at alarming rates. And I think that all that those things should be included in the training process. And if there has to be a mandate or um, implemented in order for that to happen across the board, yeah. then yes. But for sure, um, there needs to be a lot more emphasis on ensuring that people who are supposed to protect us yeah. and you know um and preserve public safety are actually equipped to be in the streets doing their job and i think that they'll respond a lot differently and they'll yeah, yeah if they were properly do you know if anything like is being done with that like laws or because i'm not aware of i'm not aware of a law um but I do know that what's happening is different municipalities or districts are implementing um, their own initiatives and they're kind of doing it their way. Um, but I think, you know, across the board that there should be um, higher, just higher standards, higher mm -hmm. standards and um, more training for sure. For, yeah, it literally takes like six months to be a police officer. Yeah, yeah. most of the training is tests right. and then uh, fitness. It's a professional right. right. And you know what it is? It's literally this. like, because um, my friend did it running in water with like all your clothes on to see who finishes. Right, and right, a little right. mental test and a physical, like yeah, a, a general checkup, two, three hundred dollars later, and then you're a cop. Congratulations, right. go out and protect our kids and protect. I would say, our, though. Most people, because I know somebody, it does take, you don't just automatically get in there. It does take, some people automatically do. It's some easy. I want to tell you that because it's politics. Hollywood PD was under investigation. Their whole department was under investigation. Well, yeah, you know people in politics, like you said, but if you're somebody that's just a normal kid and try to get into that, it's, it's kind of so pretty. I think it's really easy. I do believe that they do need to have people that are familiar with the environment, like places, certain, like, urban areas like mm -hmm. if somebody that like, grew up there or knows right. the environment they should put that person in that area right. 
and even if they're not appointing them as um, or they're not officers, they should have like community liaisons mm -hmm. who are understands the whole yeah really in tune with the community. That is true. Even and, if it's not a yeah. not police itself, right. somebody that understands like the liaison, like you said. Right, right, right. And if you think about it, like there's like a lot of calls that come out for like domestics, um, the domestic abuse or just um, violence or I mean for like disruptions. And if there are community liaisons in that community who are familiar with the people there, they can kind of come out and intervene in ways and de-escalate situations. You know why they don't allow that? Like allow that no more though? Because, because of, of the safety concern. In no, a sense. because of um, what's his name? The football player, um, Kim Kardashian, Dale's opinion. OJ Simpson. OJ Simpson. Because of him, because the wife kept calling and they kept saying they can't have somebody come out there and. They escalate those situations multiple times, multiple times, and then boom, she's dead. Right, right. So that's why somebody got to somebody got to get arrested because somebody has to go over pretty much because they don't want that same situation to happen again. I see that, and I think that there are ways to do both. Like you can have the police involved, you can ensure that it's properly being reported. Um, but I think for sure, for certain, even if it's not that person, you know, being the initial contact, that person being there as a part of um, whatever encounter is happening mm -hmm. can kind of help de-escalate things substantially and ensure that police kind of understand, understand the dynamics. Because things differently. Yeah. You wear them differently mm -hmm. or they're coming differently. Like, it, like even like at my job, like if I say something and my partner says something else, I'm like, I just said that. But it's, it's phrased different. phrased yeah, differently. Everybody understand it like, differently. Yeah, so mm -hmm. that could... Yeah, everybody yeah. learns differently. Reading, sometimes people are good more visually, right. hearing, like on like on the job training type stuff right everybody learns differently right and I, I i think that yeah i think that it just creates another type of interaction and a more um interpersonal interaction because when police do arrive you know their immediate response is to They're get this person out of here they're hot-headed yeah. yeah and like and for example growing up across the street when i was really young there was this couple and like every Friday and Saturday night, one of the guy, the guy would get drunk, and him and his wife would get into arguments. And I don't recall it ever turned into fighting or anything, but everyone knew that if you call the police, that they'll, he'll he'll be going to jail because he had a record already. He was known by um, the police and stuff. Um, but there were people in the community who you could call who would be able to go over and de-escalate that situation in a minute because that they had respect for those individuals and they already had relationships and it was people who understood the dynamics of that family a bit more. And I think like having, you know, those type of people involved are important and working um, in collaboration with law enforcement is important because the police's first response would have been to, you know, throw the man in jail. Um, whereas those people from the community were able to kind of de-escalate it and allow them to go back to a sense of normalcy. Um, at least until the next weekend when they got drunk again. And you gotta realize certain things are normalized in certain communities, and then if you yeah. go outside the mm -hmm. community, that's the no no. It's a big right, no. right, right. Just kind of like like I always use laundering as an example. In our community, it's not uncommon to hang out in front of the stores, mm -hmm. and when you go to other communities, you're gonna end up being in jail if you hang it out in front of a store too long. And I think being able to understand that and um, being culturally competent is extremely important uh, when having an encounter or having an encounter with an individual as a law enforcement officer. So how do you get into um, criminal justice reform? Um, people kind of started talking about it as criminal justice reform, but I don't think that that's kind of uh, really what I do. I just kind of help people. And my goal is to help people who are um, re-entering into the community after being incarcerated or having an arrest record because there's a tons of barriers associated with having um, any kind of arrest record here, whether or not you have been convicted of a felony, just having been in contact with the criminal system and an arrest on your record means that you're going to live with tons of consequences um, for the rest of your life in Florida. And I just try to come from a place of understanding because I had those types of experiences and helping people navigate through some of those barriers. And I don't think that that's so much focused on reform 
and a sense that it like you know um like criminal justice reform i think it's a reaction to a problem that exists and kind of just trying to help people navigate through that space and find um find themselves again mm-hmm. Okay, and what was that question that you asked Max? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. You don't remember? Okay. Well, um, I did not know that Florida clerks rely heavily on fines and fees. I heard you talk about that. And yeah. I didn't know that pretty much is how they get paid and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, man. That's how, like, so they, that's why they so very, like, every little thing they just try to hit you with. Yes. Like, I didn't know you have to pay for being on probation. What? It's expensive as heck. I didn't know that. Yeah, it is super expensive to be on probation. I had like, I had this girl, like, I won't say who, but I was getting a service done and we were just talking as girls and she's like, yeah, I have to pay my probation. I'm like, <laughs> this is, like it's so foreign to me because mm-hmm. I've never been in that situation. Yeah. But. And unless you are in that situation or yeah, um, have experiences with somebody in those situations, you don't know. But it is extremely expensive to be on probation. And the thing about um, those fees um, or probation ex- costs is you can't avoid them. Like, you can't get around it. Well, they'll just keep adding up, right? Well, and they'll violate you. It's a technical violation if you can't afford to pay and the cost sure of supervision. Yeah, it, then you get a warrant and you go to jail. <laughs> and you go so to jail. It's just like strike after strike after strike. It is, it is. So it criminal it criminalizes poverty. If you can't afford to pay, then you can't afford like to pay. Like, what if your crime freedom. that you committed was stealing something? Like, obviously, you didn't have money to buy it, so you that stole happens. it. And now you're telling me that this is my consequences to come up with money that I didn't have before. That is a real life experience for tons of people. Like, they'll find themselves. Um, arrested for not being able to afford you know items or for stealing or for not being able to afford mm-hmm. car insurance um it's like a number of things it's like that, a penalty for being yeah poor. it's a it is a penalty for being poor but i think that like that's a known fact like the criminal justice system has always strive by taking advantage of poor people yeah for sure there is a saying though if you want to do the crime make sure you have some extra money on the side that's the saying in the streets like don't do the crime if you don't got the money like that. <laughs> yeah that's because no matter what you do you in crime right you're going, something's going to happen where you want need money to get a lawyer mm, yes and no uh, it, I think you pay attention to what's being criminalized, though. I understand, like, to the ex- to what you're saying, but there are a lot of things that are really innocuous and um, low-level offenses that mm-hmm. really shouldn't be criminalized. Oh, I know. Um, in the beginning. I seen somebody get arrested for what was it, fifty cents? But yeah, somebody stole fifty cents on the ground. And I guess the person that said it's his, he got arrested. Yeah. So stupid stuff like that. I don't understand why. I understand right. you're trying to put a, give a kid a message, but he locked up for it. Now his fucking life is ruined and shit. For the rest of his life, yeah. Yeah. And if he can't afford fifty cent, he goes in, then he's gonna have to pay fifty dollars for a public defender. Yeah, it adds up. Hundred dollars for a public defender application fee and then there's tons of court costs or fines that he's gonna have to pay, possibly if he end up on community control or supervision. Um, he's deeper in debt, but nothing ever is done to address initial problem in the first place uh-huh. which was the inability to afford to afford anything <laughs> so it just kind of leaves the person completely worse off um once they get into contact without ever having any understanding of what the initial um situation was that brought them into contact with the criminal justice system anyway are you able to um like obviously we're all citizens and taxpayers i'm sure uncle sam hits us every time but I, because I've never been arrested, thank God, um, I'm not enlightened on where our money goes as taxpayers. I go to jail. Well, in the, in the incar- when you're jail, being incarcerated, like, are you able to enlighten us on where, as taxpayers, where our money goes to when it comes to being incarcerated or incarcerating people? I think that I may not be the best person to explain that, but I can tell you what I know about uh, where your money goes. I know that, you know, it costs between $140 to $171 a day um, to incarcerate any individual in Broward County. 
Um, if the person has any kind of mental health disorders, then there's going to be additional cost. Can they be like a special? Yeah, they they have to receive treatment. Um, if the Baker person Act, or right? well, not necessarily Baker Act, it just because of the treatment that they'll receive if they're receiving mm-hmm. treatment in there, um, or medication, or someone just has a health issue in general. Um, it's going to cost more because of the medical expenses associated with having that person. And us as taxpayers, we're paying for these things. Right, right, right. You pay for those things. And it's about between 140 and 170 a day for basic, you know, for people who don't have additional, need additional services. Yeah, we're paying for uh, um, the guy who shot Parkland, Nicholas Cruz. Mm-hmm. For all those things he's doing right now in jail, the therapy, all that. Yeah. That's why a lot of people are saying my hard right. dollars are going to him. Why don't you just give him a chair and a needle and all that? Right. So if he needs therapy, to my point, if he needs therapy, did it cost more? Because mm-hmm. now they're paying a therapist and providing those services. If someone, you know, has diabetes, did it cost substantially more? Because you have to provide medication mm-hmm. um, to that individual while you're in there. But, yeah, the, it's really expensive. Would you think it would be cheaper to provide therapy than to incarcerate someone? I think it's cheaper to provide alternatives. Okay. And, well, it's well not so much therapy. I think it's cheaper to provide alternatives. Every even though there are a lot of people who come into contact with or with the criminal system who have mental health disorders, there's other people who are just poor or who don't have um, skills and training to find employment. Um, and there are a number of different things that kind of lead someone to being in contact with the justice system and addressing those things um, beforehand or doing assessments beforehand and finding ways to connect that individual with the services that they need is what's important. And if we did that, it'll save a lot, lot of money because one, we'll be avoiding the cost of actually incarcerating someone. Um, then we'll give people skills to become employable mm-hmm. or if housing is an issue, we house someone and then they'll have the ability to find um, employment or you know gain skills. And so they'll be able to then contribute back to the community as well as paying taxes. So I think just alternatives in general, but for those with mental health disorders, for certain, connecting them to mental health services and um, ensuring that they're receiving mental health treatment as opposed to just locking them up. Um, Prison and jail has become a warehouse for people who are um, dealing or living with mental health disorders, and that shouldn't be the case. There was a survey going around that um percentage of black people is going down it's going to jail and the percentage of white people is going up where did you see that um i forgot what it was but they are saying that. are you sure yeah they're saying that thankfully i mean there's still a lot of black people in there mm-hmm. but from 20 years ago 10 years 15 years ago they're saying that it decreased probably not as much but it's still progress for the decrease and mexicans are kind of going up to a little bit but I'm sure under this administration, Latinos, I'm sure. I said, I'm sure under this administration, Latinos are definitely going on the incarceration rate of Latinos. But right now, it's like one in three black men are arrested. It's one in six um, Latinos. And then for the white people who are arrested for an offense, it ranges from one in 17 to 20. One in 20. So well, compare that ratio from difference. probably 15 years ago. It probably did go up though. Yeah, yeah, it might have um, increased, but I think arresting more Caucasians is not really the answer. I think the real answer. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I was just saying <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. there's improvement. Yeah, there's some improvement for sure. I think um like right now the country's talking about criminal justice reform a lot, or they're just talking about it. Um, a, a lot more frequently than before, but I think again it's finding those alternatives and not just having a conversation, but taking action. Um, that's really important, and I think that what's happening more often than not, there's a lot of conversation around it, as opposed to actions and accountability. And that's when you know, when you're required to do something, is when it's a problem. 
I just caught on that I said Mexicans. I meant to say Latino. <laughs> the reason why I was going through my head is because of the whole build the um, wall. No, because of um, in Mexico, so a family member died, and it was cartel war. Y'all didn't hear about that? Nine people died. Yeah. I did. And one of the cartel is uh, El Chapo's cartel. And right. I don't know if you heard before that, like couple. Well, I don't know if it was a month ago or a couple months ago. He killed the DEA agents and cops because they had his kid, and so he killed like. He sent the message out. Yeah. Chapo was sending like he's locked up and he's still running things. Right, right, right. And um, I also saw something where I think it was his son was arrested. Yeah, and, and then he came from him and killed all the people just to get his son back. Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn. He got money, money. <laughs> right, right. Power. He has power. power. Yeah, he runs yeah. schools too. Mm -hmm. Um. But, so the first yeah. step act was implemented um, this year, right? Yeah. Well, um, before we jump into that, um, do you feel like? If you had a good family structure, your whole life would have changed? Like, you never went through all that, like you went through? That's, a, that's difficult to answer. I think that if I had a better family dynamic, my situation would have been um, completely different, but who knows? I don't think you can say that. Yeah, I, I, I feel like it possibly would have been. I know that kind of, now that I'm older, some of the stuff that my mom does, I kind of can understand why um, she did that. And um, I think that I kind of repeated some of those mistakes myself. So I do believe that, you know, having a different family dynamic um, would have probably been a little more, if things would have been a little better for me. Um, and for my brother, my brother's like incarcerated for 30 years. How, how, how old is he? He is 33. I was just about to ask you, how about do you think if you were closer of age to your brother and sister too? If I was closer, well, on my mom's side, we're close in age. We're all like three years apart, but everybody. On your dad's side is different, right? Yeah. If, I, if we were closer in age, I don't know. I, don't, I think that would have been awkward. Like, I don't know how to view that situation yeah, because I've never saw it differently. Yeah. But I do have some siblings that now um, that are, you know, around my age on my dad's side, now that I know of them. Um, yeah, I just don't know, man. I don't Right. I know somebody has a good life, but he wants to go and live in the hood. He wants to go do hood stuff. It's just go what it's the person you want to yeah. do. Not to say that their problems are any less. I'm sure they're depressed. Their mom and dad probably works so much. Yeah, so much. Like everybody has their own issues and right, retaliates right, right. how they want to retaliate. Oh yeah, I didn't hear about the kid at FAU. Um, I was in the parking garage that day too. He killed himself, or she. Yeah. I don't know if it's a girl or boy, but they killed herself. Um, in the FAU parking lot, I was like, wow, I was just in this parking garage. FAU or FAU? FAU. And when people, I heard people talking, I was like, but that person has money, living a good life, da da da. I was like, well, you don't know if the parents are even home to even conversate with them, they probably work so much. Right, right, right. People are going through so many different things in their heads. Some are talkers, some are not, some hold it in, like you can't sit. Right. When it comes to that. Yeah, I think that, you know, um, a lot of people are dealing with their own battles and what you see on the outside doesn't really um, have any bearing on, you know, the emotional um, toil that the person might be going through internally. Mm -hmm. and I feel like with, I mean, I'm the only going here, so <laughs> I feel like with men, it's a lot harder for you guys to talk about and express those things because you're built to not talk about your feelings, not talk about your emotions. So you suppress it and then it's just triggered or you act out in different ways. I think you're right. Men are taught not to, that it's not okay to not be okay. You know, um, you're expected to be the protector, the provider, and kind of keep a strong face um, for everyone else. And so that prevents you from having an like opportunity to just really be in touch with your feelings. Yeah. Um, um, so how involved were you in the case that you're saying that the judge is allowing us to vote despite of finding fees? Well, I'm a plaintiff in that case. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so last year, everyone voted. Hopefully you all did. Um, to allow well, people. I did, but these two didn't. <laughs> you did? Yeah, I did thought you said you didn't vote. No, I did vote. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I understand why people don't vote. 
little bit. So you understand why people don't vote? Yeah, I understand it, and I understand why? why they should vote, though, because they feel like their vote don't count. I think that there are feelings. And who do you pick when it's two, two people with bullshit on the same, like... Ballot. <laughs> yeah, like, no offense, but... Is that how look, both of you feel? Look at the Clinton family, and then... I understand Donald Trump is on some other stuff too, but the Clinton family, they got a lot of stuff in their closet. Yeah, they do have a lot of stuff in their closet. And um, they were there, you know, like during those tough on crime mm-hmm. eras and stuff that kind of impacted our community um, substantially. So and I it's think. Cra- it's kind of funny. They were at the Thomas Perry opening for a studio. I found that really funny. I mean, yeah. And it, I was supposed to be black excellence and all these people there, but man, seeing them there, I was like, okay. Anywhere you can get some attention, man. I don't know, brother. I don't know. But they've kind of... I think that people are allowed to have um, a change of values. And maybe they've kind of had that experience over the years. Yeah, I, late, that's though. made that transition over the years. I don't know. It's too late. Yeah. <laughs> Which you've been stuck. You've been trained. You've been doing this your whole life. You think you're going to change like this? It's hard. I mean, it's possible. Anybody gets anyone can change. But I don't know. They probably have an agenda for almost everything they do nowadays. Yeah, it's probably for sure an agenda behind that. I mean, as most people do. Okay, and then you said... Uh, did you bring up that uh, Amendment 4, right? You brought that up or no? No, the first CARE Act. The first step back? The first step back. Yeah. Um, why do you think it took so long to implement that? I think it took so long to implement it because no one wanted to acknowledge the problem. And if you acknowledge the problem, you have to also, if you acknowledge that mass incarceration is a problem, you have to acknowledge that it disproportionately impacts black and brown people. And when you do that, you also have to accept the fact or acknowledge the fact that this country's history is built on um, racially controlling people through criminal justice. And that kind of started after slavery and they redesigned that throughout the years, whether it was the black codes, Jim Crow, um, the drug war on drugs and minimum mandatories. They just kind of continue to redesign um, those types of policies to fit wherever we are um, as a country. Um, And so I think that it took so long to create a policy that provided some kind of assistance um, to people because when you acknowledge a problem, I mean, we just spoke about it, when you acknowledge that it's a problem, you have to take some actions. Mm and who wanted to take action yeah. so what do you think was the driving force do you think it was because you know we're millennials now so there's ig there's snapchat there's facebook and now we're in a social media era where everything is being brought to light because of recordings and do you think because we're putting that out there now people are seeing it more and wanting to speak up and do something and no i think that people were aware for much longer than they're willing to um, say that it has been a problem. They were aware of it. I think that having um, social media at your fingertips now makes it um, more likely that people will acknowledge what they would ignore before. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's part of it. Um, But also just kind of looking at the economy and um, incarcerating people is extremely expensive and acknowledging that is uh, something else that needed to happen. It's a lot of lot of um, factors, and some of them are just strictly political. Political. Some of it is strictly politically motivated. But at the end of the day, um, it's a problem that they didn't do enough about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the First Step Act mostly freed federal um, prisoners. Well, it only freed like federal prisoners. But there's people in state prisons who really um, just got the wrong end of the stick. And there's no recourse for them. And even here in Florida, last year there was a bill on the table to um, reduce the amount of time that people had to serve for nonviolent offenses, but that didn't get passed. And um, you'll find people who are just kind of incarcerated for a lifetime in many cases. and. What's happening is that they have no voice, and even though views on crime and 
sentencing minimums or sentencing guidelines, all of that stuff has changed through the years and as they kind of create new policy and new laws, it isn't applied retroactively. So there's yeah. people who lost their lives who are just there with no with no voice, no recourse to kind of get back and have another chance at life. So like you're saying like laws that are passed now from like today on do not yeah. apply to No. There, so there was this guy in um, two, year 2000, he was arrested while he was on probation for stealing a radio. Um, his name's Mandingo Thompson. He's right here from Broward. I know, right? Mandingo <laughs> Thompson. Mandingo Thomas. He's right here from Broward, though, man. And he was arrested in, like, year 2000. And... Um, he was sentenced to 30 years for stealing a radio because he was on probation and the sentencing guidelines then was like three strikes you're out or something stupid like that um and so long here's pause here's my so he committed a crime and then he was on probation and then he stole a radio he committed a crime he was on probation he stole a radio so not to say me but other people would think he deserves to do his time because you know you're on probation you know you're aware of that you have three like three strikes why would you go ahead and steal a radio but people don't understand what that person's going through either right to be put in no, i'm just saying like this is what people think right you know? and i'm not saying that there shouldn't have been some kind of accountability i i'm saying that 30 years for stealing a radio isn't isn't what should have happened like yeah. that's disproportionate that doesn't match the um offense that mm -hmm. he had and so that's where it's a concern for me because he's there. He served 19 years of that sentence for stealing the radio. And because he didn't have legal representation at that time and still, um, he wanted to, like, he kept filing uh, appeals. And now he's considered, like, banned from filing appeals anymore. So you can only do, like, four. And he's well past the window of time to even file any more appeals. So he's stuck. He has to he has to serve those thirty years unless someone kind of hears his situation and gets him back into like it'll take a lot, but that shouldn't happen. And so, um for people like him, those bills that are passed should be retroactive. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a violent offense. No, I understand, I understand what I'm saying. Like, so, that's what people right. think, like why if you know you're like in trouble and why would you do another strike to go back or I don't I don't think like avoiding accountability is the answer either. Like if there are offenses for which people should be incarcerated, um, I think that what's happening is people are incarcerated for a lot more frequently and a lot longer than they should. And I think also what happens is that corrections isn't held accountable for actually ensuring that corrections happen when people are incarcerated. So, Mandy goes instance, he goes into jail for stealing a radio. Um, you do assessments while he's in there. You find out that he lacks skills or employment, then you ensure he receives training and that some real rehabilitation happens. Um, that's what should have happened and allow him to return back to the community, not just kind of locking him up for 30 years. Um, long, long sentences, don't create any kind of deterrence from crime um, yeah. at all. It just does the complete opposite. Because now they don't know life without being yeah. in jail. So mm -hmm. If they a, do get free, they go right back because yeah. that's all they know. Mm -hmm. um, I want to ask you how, because this is, how do you feel about Kim Kardashian and her place and where she's taken criminal reform? Because I know she's getting a lot of backlash for doing it, saying people are saying she's like a puppet to other people they're just using her but i'm a fan of hers are you yes okay and i love that she's doing that regardless if she might be a puppet or a pawn if she has the face the money and the power and the ability to do that like why not like it's about the bigger picture versus the motive behind it I agree that it Because I don't see Beyonce doing that. I just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> Shots. <laughs> I agree that it is about the bigger picture um, and her being able to help someone, um, kind of save someone's life. 
Um, so I think it is great that she is taking some kind of action um, to help others whose voice might not have been heard otherwise. I mean, that's what I have to say about that. That's all? <laughs> are you for it? Are you for it? Are you for her? I'm for anybody who's doing something to help other people. Whether or not, you know, her motives are completely pure at the end of the day, um, Alice Johnson may not have gotten an opportunity to have Correct. a second chance at life. I'm like, no one knew her name before. Right, 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 right. And so I think that when, I think when people who are um, celebrities and who have a lot of media attention, um, use their platforms to benefit the lives of others who um, would normally not receive justice or not um, get the help that they probably deserve, then I think that that is a great thing, whether or not, you know, uh, whatever is motivating them to do so. Do you support, did you sign the petition for, what's his name? Rodney, Rodney Reed. Reed. Yeah. yeah, I signed the petition for Rodney Reed. I mean, I actually, I actually just out of my heart, I just started sending out people around me. And I have people around me, some of them are like, for what? It's not going to work. For what? A lot of people die anyway. That's a signature. <laughs> it, it is. It's just a signature. But at the end of the day. Oh, I don't want people getting to have my information. I don't want these people sending Your me government stuff. already has your information. Right, yeah, right, right. You use Facebook. Right, right. I know, but it just shows you the ignorance that's coming out of this person's mouth. And I was just like. But yeah, I, 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 I think that Rodney Reed's situation is extremely unfortunate. Like there's tons of evidence there, um, or lack of evidence there also, um, to kind of at least look at that situation again. And it looks like they've like denied to, you know, do a DNA test on the belt um that was used as a weapon, um, kind of denied facts that came up from uh, about him being in a relationship with the with the girl before or having some kind of relations with her. Um, it's just so many things about that situation that's extremely unfortunate and just wrong. It's just what wrong. What do you think the outcome's going to be? I think that it has enough media attention right now. Yeah, I don't think so. That's, that's the reason why I like what Kim Kardashian's doing because she mm -hmm. has enough attention right. already to actually bring light to this situation. Mm -hmm. A lot of right. people don't even know who the hell, what the situation was or who he was. Right, right, right. It's Another so person that I, I got to think too is Dr. Phil brought light to it too. Mm -hmm. I think right. Dr. Phil's the reason why Kim Kardashian got in there. I don't, I don't sure. know. It, it may be either way. Um, people, I just think when people use their platforms like that. And he's white, yeah. so that's another good thing. That's always a good thing, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, but when people use their platforms like that, it's great. And you know, the social media kind of just like, the power of social media is I think it has so much light to the situation yeah. that if they were to execute him, like, I think... It's going to look bad for the system. Correct. It's yeah. going to feel like they failed, like, the system So it would be more about right. politics Which, than anything. He's not the only person. Be. He's not the only person that it failed on, but this has enough attention to make people start mm -hmm. doing do more about it. Right. But... I always think this is okay. It's the Rodney Reed situation, but how many other people yeah, are exactly. receiving that saying. attention oh, that sure. are in like me, much too. worse? Yeah, same. Yeah, same thing. Did you sign Max? Sign what? The petition? I don't know what y'all talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> I sent that in the group chat. You didn't see it? Ah, damn. You don't know who Rodney Reed is either. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Can't say that about it. Um. All right. Um. So you, I, mean, I know, I heard you say something about no justice in the criminal system. Yeah, it's not justice. Okay. What are your like thoughts about the Florida, Florida, Florida voters' improvement amendment four in November and restoring the voters' right in January eighth? I heard something. Well, I read something about that that it got approved, right? Or yeah, no? it did get approved. So everybody except for y'all who voted um, decided to allow returning citizens to um, be re-enfranchised. And then once that bill was supposed to be implemented, mm -hmm. um, the legislature decided to create all kinds of criteria to determine or define what um, constituted the completion of a sentence 
and um, then redefine who would then be eligible to vote. So where there was supposed to be like 1.4 million people who were able to vote um, after them implementing that um, bill and that criteria or those definitions, it ended up being like 800,000 people as opposed to 1.4 million. But 800,000 is still a lot considering that elections in Florida are won like by really small margins. Well, usually when it comes to voting, Florida is like the last thing that everybody's like, what is it going to swing? Is it going to swing left or right? Mm -hmm. And that uh, we're like the state where yeah. everyone's on hold. Yeah, right, right, right. So whatever happens in Florida usually decides what's yeah. going to happen for that person. Yeah, and it's usually really, really small margins, like really small. And so I think you know being able to allow people who are disenfranchised to have a vote or a voice in the vote um, was extremely important. And we kind of just anticipated it being for everyone who was um, done with their sentence. But once it got in the legislature's hands, um, they decided to um, add restrictive measures to it that kind of reduced the number of people who would be eligible, el eligible to vote like drastically. Okay, and um, you really feel like the you really feel like it's like the Jim Crow laws. Yeah, it is. They just kind of they just kind of change them over time. They, I mean, it started off as black hole laws, and you know, right after slavery, they kind of incarcerated black people, and then they changed it to Jim Crow laws, and then they kind of just like restructured it over and over and over again to fit current culture. But the impact is still the same. It's still disproportionately of impacts of black and brown people. I mean, they just call it something else, depending on what who's in the administration. Um, they create new policies to fit current times. What are you doing? The question, <laughs> are you ready to move on? Yes, it's getting a little bit too much. So we're gonna lighten the mood. Um, so I don't know if you've seen our segments of Between the Sheets. You scared? Nope. <laughs> okay, so you have to pick five questions and then I'll read them. I don't know if you want to pick one at a time or five or however you want right, to It's five. Okay, I'm going to give you two at a time. Okay. And then <laughs> That's a long question. I thought I like, had like three at one time. Okay, first question is Have you ever had phone sex? Yes. Yes, I've had phone sex. Are, are they always the same questions? No. What do you mean? No. Um. Do you always use the same questions? Mm -mm. No. Okay. Have you ever had phone sex? Yes. When did you start having? Like, how old were you? <laughs> so, when, so when I was young, right? Um, I remember getting my beat, my butt tore up because I would call those phone sex lines. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Wait, what? There was a hotline. Yeah, it was tons of hotlines, man. They still have them. You have to remember, like, watching Cheaters. And right. Like, oh, this. oh, yeah, yeah. I said Cheaters, but I never did shit. Yeah, I used to dial that. Like, I was real young. I bounced between that and Miss Cleo. Like, I was oh, actually, yeah. You're right. They do have to like Late night. <laughs> I never did it. You did it before? No, but I know the commercials. Oh, yeah, I know the commercials, but I never did it. I mean, what's wrong with it? It looks like the camera it? might be going off or something. I don't know. What would you do if you inherited $1 million tomorrow? If I inherited $1 million tomorrow, I would open several re-entry houses um, so that when people were leaving institutions, they'd have a place to stay and get on their feet without having to deal with um, the burdens or just expenses, you know, the cost of living immediately. That's a huge problem for people. Um, I would probably, I don't know, help out some people over in the Bahamas. One million dollars goes quick real fast. Mm -hmm. So that I've already spent like three quarters of that. Yeah, so, especially oh. like paying for the expense of the, yeah, this, that, yeah, and third yeah. of the home. Yeah. So, so that's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll probably put the rest of some stock or something. Yeah. Yeah. All right, you got three more. Oh, all right. Let me see. That's three. It's one. <laughs> That's a long question, too. All right. What's the most insane thing you've ever been caught doing? Take I, this question however you want to. <laughs> okay, probably having sex at a warehouse. Interesting. 
outside of Wales. <laughs> How old were you? Oh, I was like 19 over at Miami Gardens. When did you start having sex? Because I know the whole molesting thing, people usually so, they start exploring early. I don't know. Um, I kind of like didn't like have full sex until I was like seventeen. Okay. What's when you said full sex? Yeah. What's the difference? It's a whole difference. Like head <laughs> is. That's still considered sex. No, it is, it's not. It's not like intercourse. It's not. Me and my friend have this conversation, right? Because um, one of us claimed to be celibate mm-hmm. and He's thinks okay, that it's okay to get head. It's not celibate. It's not. Yeah. It's not full of sex. Yeah, it's sex. It's Even in the Bible, it's pretty considered like you're not considered celibate. I mean, the Bible says that. I think that if you're not having full blown sex, then you can remain. <laughs> you can remain celibate with oral sex. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of music do you like to play in the bedroom, if any? Um. Yeah, I like music. Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. <laughs> No, no, no. Usually, like, no, no. I like future music, though. Oh, like, (laughs) pound and pound. That's all I hear playing right now. That's all you hear playing. Perk the set. Molly, Perk the dog. That's five, right? All right, cool.